Second part of the series, um, Are You Alive? Are We Alive? As G2, we're asking that question and we're looking at the signs of life uh, from uh, GCSE Science, Mrs. Gren. So there they are. They're the signs of life and we're picking four of them over the next four weeks to have a look at. And uh, signs of life uh, translating for us in this series as being signs of being a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus. And last week we had a look at excretion, which was a lovely subject, uh, thanks to Christian. But it's been really quite an exciting week. Um, I've heard a number of stories of people who have legitimately heard what Christian said last week, listened to the challenges, and put it into practice, and done something about it over the course of the week. So I've already known a number of people who are finding somebody else within this G2 family to meet up with more regularly and confess their sins to one another. That is, uh, put out their deepest, darkest secrets into the open with another friend that loves Jesus so that together they can find freedom, forgiveness and move forward to be more like Christ. I'm hearing of people doing that as of last week. That is hugely encouraging. And I just thought I'd let you know that as a G2 core team, um, we, we uh, really challenged ourselves on confessing our sins and what we were calling accountability over a year ago now. So we really got serious about that, putting that in place, having good questions that challenge us, that make us more like Jesus, the awkward questions you don't want to be asked because you know there's a bit of a darker side to you there. We've been really challenged on working on our characters in accountable relationships as a core team. And a few months ago, the G2 leadership team, so the wider bunch of leaders, um, we also were challenged by this. So as a wider G2 leadership team, we talked about accountability, about confession. We also talked about challenging questions that we can be asking ourselves in good, like ones and two, like twos and threes relationships that help us be more like Jesus and keep us sharp on the, on the areas of weakness for us. And so now that's been opened up to the whole of the family. So I want to encourage you. I'm really excited by a church that is starting to take sin seriously and starting to take pursuing Jesus and holiness and being more like him seriously to such an extent that at every level of a family now, we've talked about this, we've been challenged by it, and I'm hearing the stories of people putting it into practice. So I encourage you, if you are yet to get yourself lined up in how are you going to be challenged to be more like Christ, month by month, week by week, I challenge you, there's still time, because as a family, that is becoming culture, and that really excites me. So that was last week. This week, I'm going to talk to you about reproduction. That's right, ladies and gents, we are going to look at what really goes on with the birds and the bees. We're going to find out the truth behind the stork who drops babies into the arms of waiting parents. And we are going to ask ourselves the age-old question that has plagued humanity for centuries. Where do babies come from? So two minutes, we've got a table talk. Where do babies come from? <laughs> We're not doing that as a table talk. Imagine that, though. Imagine that. If I just held the silence. And you just know there's one person on each of your tables that legit would just plough in and just go for it. Awkward. <laughs> no, we're not quite talking about where babies come from. Today we are talking about reproduction, but in terms of disciples who make disciples. Okay? That is seeing more and more people who know Jesus share Jesus so that more and more people come to know Jesus as well. An overflow effect of the love of God that you share it outwards and other people come to know the love of God too. 
reproduction. And that's a key mark of a follower of Jesus, which is why that is a sign of life in our faith, which is why we're looking at it today. Now, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, because actually, the last time I preached at G2, I preached on exactly this. So you might not remember, but uh, Jesus was pretty explicit that disciples make disciples. That is the deal. That's how it goes. If you follow Jesus, you will be sharing him so that others come and follow him too. Right at the start in Matthew, Matthew 4, Jesus is walking along by the Sea of Galilee. And we know the story. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, his t- saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Fast forward, Matthew 28. If that was Jesus' first call, and it was disciples, you will make disciples. At Matthew 28, Jesus is about to leave the earth uh, in terms of his physical presence as a man on earth. And he makes the same call to the bunch of disciples again, that you will be disciples that make disciples Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. First call of the disciples, go make disciples. Last call of the disciples, go make disciples. And those calls are still true for us. But I have genuinely already spoken on these passages. Genuinely, that was my talk last time. So I'm actually not going to go into that because I kind of hope we get it a little bit now. We know. If you follow Jesus, you are called to bring other people to follow Jesus. Instead... I'm going to talk about how this call of God is made possible. How God has already equipped us and will keep equipping us with everything we need to live out what he calls us to. So today, we are going to look at living a bold life. And the exciting thing about boldness, it is totally a gift. So I wonder whether you can turn to the book of Acts with me, New Testament, after the Gospels, then you get the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Acts. Um, it is going to be on the screen, but if you're anything like me, it's actually quite helpful to hold the Bible and work out how it fits into the bigger story of God, even by feeling the weight of it. So uh, turn to the start of Acts. We're starting at chapter 1, verse 1, uh, and it is on the screen if you prefer. Right then. So the book of Acts is written by a guy called Luke. Luke also wrote one of the Gospels called Luke, funnily enough. And in, at the start of Acts, he quotes what Jesus says to his followers about how they will be able to continue following him and sharing the good news after he's physically left the earth. So Jesus, uh, Luke's writing an account about what Jesus said next, as it were. Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, that's the dude he's writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then, he gathered ra- then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the early followers of Jesus had been used to telling people about him. They had been used to meeting new people and telling them, God's at hand, God is near, God is knowable, he loves you, he wants to connect with you, you are not on your own, you are incredibly loved, come back to him, come meet your maker. They were used to that. That was, as I say, part and parcel of being a disciple meant that you went to go and tell others. And they'd got all this training because they were actually living alongside Jesus, God on earth, in person, which is sort of ideal. If I think about the best confidence boost you could have if you're going to try and tell somebody about God, it's going to be having living proof next to you. It's going to be having the biggest confidence boost that is the presence of Jesus that is your backup. If I was going to go and tell someone about Jesus at work and then come home and know that Jesus was there to debrief with me, to talk it through, to cheer me on and say, I know you did it, you know, you tried a good job and this is how they're doing now and don't worry and keep going. Jesus was the ultimate guy to have around if you're going to start telling people about Jesus, right? When Jesus was on earth, it's like he was the gift of boldness to his disciples as they went about sharing the good news. Kind of like you're walking around, but you've got a lion next to you. And you kind of feel invincible. You kind of don't mind risking it. You kind of don't mind mentioning God about saying to someone, actually, there's another way to live. Actually, you're made for more than you realise. Because you've got a lion next to you, backing you up. So when Jesus left the earth, he was no longer a physical presence for his followers. He didn't leave them without the same source of boldness so that they could carry on doing exactly what they were doing before. Loving people and showing God's power, in fact, in even greater measures than they had done whilst Jesus was with them on earth. He didn't, that therefore means if he didn't leave his followers without that same gift of boldness, that's exactly the same for us. As followers of Jesus now, he did not leave us on our own. He did not leave us without all the backup, help, and power that we would need. As quoted in the Star of Acts, Jesus reminds his followers they're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, once he's gone. And we can see in verse 8, the immediate effect of being filled with the power of God, the immediate effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit produces boldness for you to share your faith in Jesus and to share all the good things of God. And you can see from Jesus' call in Acts uh, 1 verse 8, it's to share it endlessly. There is no limit to God. There is no limit to his power in you. There is no limit to who God wants to love, reach, and how much he wants to transform the world through you. Endless. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth, the city you're in, the area around it, as far as you can go. Incredible. 
And then, in Acts 2, just a chapter later, we see exactly what Jesus said would happen, happen. So uh, this is the account. You can flick onto Acts 2. I'm not going to read it, but it's just there in front of you if you want it. Um, at the start of Acts 2, the disciples are all gathered together in a room, praying. They are waiting in Jerusalem, just as Jesus commanded. And then the power of God comes in an, in an amazing way, uh, which is why we have what's known as the day of Pentecost, because it marks the day that this gift of the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus' followers, first of all. There is a loud, crashing, violent wind. The room is shaking. Um, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the disciples literally see what looks like flames of fire land on them. And then they start calling out and speaking in languages they don't understand. Okay, so as they're filled up with this power, they just start speaking in uh, different languages. And some people might call that the gift of tongues. This is amazing when you think about what Jesus said just a chapter earlier. Because these disciples, so full of this power of God they just received, burst out of the room. They're on the streets of Jerusalem. At that time in Jerusalem, you had people from all over the world in the city. And these disciples start speaking about the good things of God without knowing what they're saying. They're just coming out with these words in different languages. And people from all over the world are hearing them and understanding them. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Immediately, what Jesus said would happen with receiving the Holy Spirit and being able to be bold in sharing your faith happens in a crazy way to the disciples. And they didn't even do it deliberately. They just, the overflow of the power of God meant that people from all over the earth started hearing about a creator who loved them. And then you check out Peter, one of the disciples, in Acts 2. Peter thinks, whoa, I've got to somehow explain this to the crowd because it's all kicked off. So Peter, then, you're going to have to go back and read it, it is amazing. He just spontaneously nails a preach, right? He absolutely boshes it out of the park, full of the Holy Spirit. He just boldly stands up in the city and tells them, this is what God's done for you, this is how much he loves you and his power is available. And 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus in one day. Because of Peter, he can't help it. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's bold in his faith. So he steps up to speak and people give their lives to God. Incredible. Are we alive, G2? Are we a bold church? Are we bold people? Carry on reading through Acts. Two, three, four. You read those chapters and it is account after account of bold act after bold act. The overflow effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples are absolutely going for it. They're getting in trouble all over the place. They're preaching on street corners. They are healing the sick. People that haven't been able to walk for 30 years are getting up and walking. And the authorities are not impressed because they are causing such a riot. They're being outrageous. They're saying God is alive. His power is within us. And we are seeing him transform the world in front of us. And the authorities are like, what? They're changing the people's hearts. Everywhere in the streets, people are worshipping God. A couple of them, Peter and John, I think. Um, was it those two? Yeah, they, um, they get arrested, but they don't get put in jail. They end up being released again, basically, because they can't charge them. Uh, they, they got arrested because the guy that couldn't walk for 30 years and then walked, they were like, that's outrageous, no one could do that. But it happened, so they get released. So they've just been arrested. They're starting to get a backlash from being so bold and being outrageous in society, okay? And the first thing they do is amazing. Acts 4, if you go to verse 29, 
these guys come back from being arrested, they return to the rest of the disciples, and this is the audacious prayer they choose to pray, okay? Acts 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So these guys get in trouble for being so bold and they ask God, make me more bold. They get in trouble for seeing people healed and miraculous things of the kingdom breaking in and they say, more of that God, more of that. Boldness ends up producing more boldness. When you've asked the Holy Spirit to fill you and then you give it a go in faith that the power of God does make a difference in you and you start to step out and be bold, you end up bolder. I mean, it's not, it's like a really simple equation, really. Start being bold and boldness comes. And then, it's amazing, that so they're bold, they see God move in power. Because they see God move in power, they know they can be bold, so then they're even bolder. And then they see God move in power, so they know they can be bold because he's still faithful, so they move in power. Then they see God, you know what I mean? Crazy! Boldness produces more boldness, produces more boldness. Are we alive, G2? Are we a bold church? Are we a bold people? I've got a table task as opposed to a table talk now. What I want you to do, and this is why you've got pens and post-its, um, I want to challenge you to think honestly, and the post-its are going to be anonymous unless somebody studies your handwriting, so don't worry about it, you don't need to sign it at the end. First thing I want you to do is think, what stories or, exa- or examples can you think of in your own life when you've been bold, when you've stepped out and done something that is bold? Uh, just kind of summarise it, but use one post-it note for each story you can think of. For those of you that know Jesus and follow Jesus, particularly think, when have I been bold in my faith? When have I been bold at sharing the love of God, at representing Jesus? For those of you that don't yet know Jesus, you can still think of moments of courage and bravery where you've t- taken a deep breath and bit the bullet and done more than you think you could. But I'm going to give you like five minutes to put down as many stories in the bold column as possible of examples in your own life of boldness. Right then, hopefully you've got a few down. Oh, good, that's a full column, nice. It's quite challenging to have a go at thinking about that, isn't it? Number one, we so easily forget moments that actually we should be praising God for and really thankful for. And secondly, that comes that awkward moment when you actually can't think of any in the last month. And it gets a bit tricky when you realise there aren't actually that many recent stories all the time. I don't know what you think the answer is in terms of whether you think, given that we are G2, whether you think we are a bold church, whether you would describe yourself as a bold person. I don't know. I, I think I've seen moments of breakthrough in G2. I don't know whether I'd actually describe us as that characteristically across the board, but certainly I've got hope for us. And there are moments that I see breakthroughs of boldness in the everyday. Stories all over the place. You won't know this, but there's, a, there's someone in G2 at the moment, and uh, just in the last month, they were offered um, a cash bonus of a grand um, in an envelope, and uh, they weren't entirely sure that the way it was being done was uh, totally above board. So they gave back 
the cash bonus to their boss and asked for it to be paid through the books, which meant they were taxed hundreds of pounds on it. I think it takes a bold life to decide to go against the flow of the rest of the office and technically lose out in some sense, do something that other people just think is totally fine because of, because of knowing that they're known as a Christian, so they're going to do their best to live a life of integrity, even if it feels a bit awkward and it's going to cost something. I think that takes a bold life. That's happened in G2 in the last few weeks. Are we alive? Are we bold? There's someone else in G2, and uh, they've set themselves a challenge this month to share their faith at work with a target of up to 13 people. And uh, they've, um, they don't normally do that. Uh, it, it, can be, it can feel quite difficult in that environment. So um, in the past, they've probably opted out a bit. But they've decided to set themselves that challenge and to start changing things, to start being known for who they follow, not just be followed. And in, the, in, the, in, in this week, They've already told a couple of people something about God, something about faith, when that never happened before. I think it takes a bold life to do that. That's happening in G2 right now, at the moment. And I know there's people in G2 right now who are still faithfully inviting their housemates to come here every week, even though they have got more no's than yeses all the way along the line. There are still people here that throw their weight behind investing in their housemates, hanging out with their course mates, going to the society socials, even when they get taken the mickey out of because they live a different way, because they represent something a bit different, because they don't necessarily join in with the crown on every single thing. I think it takes a bold life to keep doing that, to keep living that. And there's people doing it every single week, faithfully, here at G2. Are we a bold church? Are we alive? Me and Gav met this amazing guy in Uganda called Bishop Cramner. And uh, when I thought of boldness, I thought of this guy. This is audacious what he did, right? So um, Uganda, incredibly poverty-stricken country and um, quite a bit of corruption going on as well. And uh, this bishop noticed that um, the president was equipping all his ministers and government with four-by-fours. Only a very, very rich person in Uganda even has a car, let alone a four-by-four. But these ministers were rocking around in four-by-fours and not really doing a lot. And uh, the bishop knew that it is only the local church out there that actually bother to reach the small pockets of community outside the capital. It has been only the leaders of local churches and areas that have been bothering to get up the mountains to go and visit the people that don't even have water yet. And so, Cramner goes to the president and he says to him, you are giving your ministers four by fours, but they are doing nothing with them. You give each one of my bishops a four by four and we will change the gamble. Okay, so that's what he tells the guy. And then the, the president has never officially announced it, but genuinely, bishop by bishop, he is giving the church four by fours because he knows the church reaches the people, not his ministers. And so when we ask, we ask the guy, how come some of your guys, like you guys share this four by four, there's about 10 of them that share a four by four. And he said, this is the story because I know we will change Uganda in a way that they cannot. And I was like, whew, that is a bold life. <laughs> Dude went up to the leader of a country, challenged his integrity, questioned his actions, and then told him what he should do about it. Come on! <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I want to be Bishop Cramner. <laughs> However, I'm also aware that for every bold moment in our lives that we can think of that are on the post-its, we're also going to be able to think of quite a few moments when we bottled it, when we weren't bold, when we responded to fear, 
when we shut down what God might have been doing and manage to miss it altogether. It's when I remember my moments of bottling it that I remember again how the whole point is you can't do it on your own. You have to be relying on God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit within us. This is not something I can learn myself, perfect, and then be amazing at. I will consistently bottle it unless I am consistently full of the presence of God that says you can be bold despite the circumstances time and time again. So I'm not going to ask you to write anything that I wouldn't do as well. So I'm going to tell you the last time I bottled it, which was about a month ago. Um, well, the one that I can think of that's most uncomfortable to tell you, so I thought I'd tell you. It's like confession, isn't it? It's freeing. So um, uh, at Christmas, um, uh, a load of us went to a dinner party and um, we played games late into the night and mainly there were Christians there but there were also people that weren't Christians there and uh, some people I'd met before, some people I didn't know. And we're playing uh, games and one such game we played uh, turned out to be pretty horrific. So it was a game that was taking, basically making fun of really disgusting and brutal things. So it was uh, mocking what we'd actually consider crimes against humanity and um, probably the most evil things that are going on in the world. And this game was making jokes about it. And uh, as we're playing the game, uh, a few of us there felt more and more uncomfortable about what we were doing, about what was being laughed at, and about us being part of this game. And um, I bottled it, and I didn't say anything I didn't do anything. And it was another person also playing the game who follows Jesus, who stood up and said, I'm not comfortable playing this game anymore. Sorry, guys, feel free to carry on, but I'm going to go in the other room. And they went. They were the bold one. And me and a couple of my mates afterwards were talking, talking about it and basically how sick we felt that we actually stayed and that there'd actually been jokes made about that sort of stuff. And we both just realised we bottled it. We had a choice there, and I basically didn't want to be the party pooper. So I didn't say anything, I didn't do anything, even though what I was involved in was in no way representing Jesus. No way. And that reminds me that I need the power of God in me. Because on my own, I bottle it. So you've got a few minutes again. Be honest, when have you last bottled it? Put it down. So hopefully you've also been honest enough to name what we all do and name the moments that we've bottled it. And if you looked around the room, you see those columns are pretty full as well. A reminder of our need for the power of God in us. A reminder that you were never called to do this thing on your own. A reminder that the whole point is that you live and... Uh, breathe and act out of a relationship with God, God in you, God surrounding you, God helping you. You were never created to do this on your own. What we're going to do now is, um, basically we've left loads of space to respond, because if I've just made the point that boldness comes from receiving the Holy Spirit and then acting out of that place of the power of God within you, and we've just been reminded, not in a way to feel guilty or shameful, but just being honest about the fact that we need God and we do bottle it without him. 
then obviously we're going to want the space to actually ask the Holy Spirit to fill us again so that the immediate fruit of that is boldness, just like we see in Scripture, just like we know is true. What we're going to do to start is just sit, and uh, you've got space to reflect here, but we're going to, um, the worship band are going to lead us in a song, and they're going to sing it to us and over us first, called Oceans. Now, some people will know that, uh, that song, but many of you, this will be new for you. It is an amazing song, and it has become something of an anthem for us. Um, there's a bunch of us meeting like a cell called The Experiment, and this is basically our prayer for this year. And uh, when you look at the lyrics, it is all about living out of your comfort zone in the hands of God. It is about pushing into boldness. It is about trusting him without borders or barriers. It is about knowing that Jesus doesn't see walls. He is all about the breakthrough. And this song is the way that we're going to start to respond to what God wants to do with us today, which is to fill us again with his power so that we can live a bold life, be a bold church, be a bold people. So for starters, read the lyrics, reflect on them, begin to enter that space of what does that mean for you, what is God saying to you, and let the band sing oceans over you now. Oh, my friend. 